Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. So thank you for joining us today on the Laser Therapy Institute podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm a certified medical laser safety officer and a chiropractor, and this is Christy. Hello. Christy is a certified laser tech. She has been performing laser treatments for years and is currently working with us here at LTI to develop a lot of our training, um, especially the online course piece, so Mm -hmm. that doctors and other healthcare providers can train online so that they can develop their laser therapy skills and get good results for their patients. Yes. And what we do here on the LTI podcast every other week, we start talking about the provider, the healthcare provider perspective on providing laser therapy and light therapies or photobiomodulation as it's now called Mm -hmm. uh, to their patients. If you are a healthcare provider and you want to know more about light and laser therapies, this is the place to be. We are here every other week, and what we're going to be doing is pretty much every week, either we're interviewing experts or we're going through research. And right. Usually it's brand new research. A lot of times though, we're going back a little bit to look at some of the older research too. All kinds of different topics, whether it is things like musculoskeletal problems mm-hmm. or dental issues or mm-hmm. practice management, how to increase right. your laser and light therapy um, patient base to you know actually turn a profit on your light therapy units that's important you've got to be able to keep your lights on right not only your right. light there but also you know good yeah. one yeah good thanks one. yeah <laughs> terrible sorry i'll rein it in here um but you've got to be able to make a profit right you, know, you can't just give away your time all no. the time um and if you've purchased and invested in a light therapy unit you need to be able to use it mm-hmm. for your patient's benefit and it needs to be able to support your clinical operations because if it's not, then it's dragging you down. You're not going to be using it very often. Your patients won't see that benefit. So we're here to help you understand how to use light therapies, how to do it in practice in a way that will be profitable and sustainable, but primarily helpful to your patients. Effective. Effective. Yes. You got to have effective treatments. Correct. So there's a lot that we can tell you about what we do. We're going to instead really focus on the research because uh, I don't know about you, but it is hard to find time to dig into the research. And that's why we do these these podcasts so we can do that for you. Today, we're looking at a 2012 study and it was published in the Journal of Athletic Training. The title of the study is Red Light and the Sleep Quality and Endurance Performance of Chinese Female Basketball Players. Very targeted. Very targeted. (laughs) Very targeted. Very targeted. Yes. So red light, visible red, right? Mm -hmm. And sleep quality and endurance performance for specifically Chinese female basketball players. I mean, you could probably expand that to say at least female athletes, right? Right. Um, Right. Or maybe athletes in general even. But it is a very targeted title. Again, published in 2012 in the Journal of Athletic Training. And what they were trying to do is see if using a full body light treatment could have benefits like it says in the title for sleep quality but also for endurance performance and of course for basketball in particular endurance is very very important very important so let's get into the study here first off they go look sleep is really important it's a prerequisite good sleep is a prerequisite for optimal performance so really focused on the athletic side but even if we step away from the athletics for just a minute 
Sleep's good. Sleep is good. And when you don't get it, it's amazing how ineffective and how unproductive you can be. Absolutely. So. And if you already have pain, it accelerates. Exacerbates it. Exacerbates pain. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They go on to say that researchers have shown that symptoms of overtraining uh, can indicate poor quality sleep. And good sleep is an important recovery method for prevention and treatment of overtraining in sport practice. Mm -hmm. So, again, very athletics focused. But even if we think about maybe repetitive motion. You know, if you've got a job where you're doing something repetitively, if you're a massage therapist or a chiropractor or a PT, you're doing a lot of soft tissue work, you're using your hands. Right. I mean, how common is it to end up with, um, you know, problems with recovery there? You end up with tendonitis in the elbows, mm -hmm. the shoulders. I, I worked with a, a chiropractor for a while. He had already had, I think, two knee replacements and a shoulder, several shoulder surgeries. I mean, it's, wow. it's a lot of wear and tear. It is. So, um, you know, not just overtraining for sports, but even overworking in a job um, or a hobby that you have. Well, this time of year, snow shoveling. I oh, mean, yeah. That's a repetitive thing. Not, know, not if you're in Texas. <laughs> well, true. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> but I for a lot of us. Considering where we are right now. Yeah. But yes, any any repetitive motion is going to be the, the issue here. Yeah. And sleep deprivation is going to exasperate that. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So good sleep is an important recovery method for these overworked, repetitive motion type issues. So if you have patients that are dealing with tendonitis, uh, tendinopathies, um, even muscle tears, but those repetitive use injuries, if they are sleeping poorly, they're going to heal poorly. It doesn't matter what you do for them. They would heal faster and better if they were sleeping better. Right. So they go on from there to say that evidence is compelling that chronic exposure to bright light can enhance sleep. Let's break that down a little bit. So compelling evidence that chronic exposure, so chronic means long lasting, right? Mm -hmm. Over time, more right. than three months. Um, exposure to bright light, and that's just general light, mm -hmm. can actually enhance sleep. I'm not really sure what that's talking about. That does refer back to a totally different study. We're not talking about light therapy, and so I got bored and I didn't read the, the <laughs> that that one because uh, I like what I like, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting idea that you can use light to enhance sleep. I know for me, if I don't get enough uh, dark in the room, if it's not dark enough, it, it seems to bother me more. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I'm not sure if if in in this case, they were trying to just expose people to light during sleep or beforehand. Interesting. I think beforehand, though, okay. because that's what they did in this study. Okay. So the researchers decided that what we should do is try using red light therapy to see if it would change the sleep quality mm -hmm. of, of these athletes. And then from there, you know, how does that affect their endurance performance? Because these athletes are probably on the national or even Olympic level and are practicing every day, a couple times a day. They're running hard, they're right. working hard. They're very much in that group that could be overtrained quickly. So any mm -hmm. tools mm -hmm. that can help an athlete to recover faster are, are pretty in demand. Well, when you think of basketball, you think of multiple games a week, you know, long-term, you know, months. Yeah. So much less the practice. Right, right. So what they set up is a, a, it almost looks like a, like an overhead light unit, um, 
like you'd see like in a, in a drop ceiling and mm -hmm. they filled it with red LED lights. I'll, I'll show a picture of it here. Hopefully you can see that. I think I'm in the right zone. I can't really see my camera, but uh, kind of an interesting unit. So they say full body. It's only really coming from the top down um, on there. So the, the patient lies down on the bed and then they have head to toe um, light exposure from the top down. Uh, let's give you some information on exactly what that looked like. So it's a continuous illumination using non-coherent red light. So that's gonna be usually LEDs with an average wavelength of 658 nanometers. We know 658 nanometers is about that 660 red, visible red, you know, 630 to you know, about 700 is that red and deep red spectrum. Mm -hmm. And they said the total light dose was 30 joules per centimeter squared. Now 30 joules per centimeter squared is fairly high. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not convinced that was the actual delivered dose to the tissues for several reasons. For one, looking at this photo here, there's a lot of separation between the bed and the player, or the the lights and the player, the athlete. It's a it's a pretty good distance. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably a foot or at so. At least, at least. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of light exposure in the rest of the room, so you're mm -hmm. definitely losing a lot of light to not it's not all my point is not all the light is going into the player's it's body being dispersed it's a lot of dispersion mm -hmm. so i would question if we really hit that dose of 30 joules per centimeter squared you've got a lot of dispersion a lot of scattering that happens scattering. in the airspace um there especially because we've got non-coherent light you know it's not all traveling in the same direction so that means that there's a a lower chance of of having all that light directed to the body mm-hmm so if you're new to, to light and photobiomodulation, light therapies, dosage is measured in joules, uh, it's, which is how we measure energy. And that is over the amount of space that you are exposing to the light. Um, so in this case, it's a lot of light over a large area and they're, they're quoting 30 joules per centimeter squared. Um, usually we're looking five to 10 joules per centimeter squared for most recommendations for health conditions. Um, and in this case though, I, I don't know if that's correct. The other concern there that I'm not sure that they were really delivering 30 joules per centimeter squared, I bet you can spot the problem by looking at the picture. What do you think the problem might be? Well, it's just, they've got clothing on. Yes, they've got <laughs> clothing on. And it says, it says in here that all the participants wore swimsuits to enhance irradiation from the device. That doesn't really make sense to me. So we know that yeah. fabrics, I mean, a lot of things can block light. We know that red light in particular doesn't really make it past the subdermal tissues. Right. So wearing clothing, fabric, is not gonna enhance the irradiation. It's actually gonna diminish what reaches the skin. I mean, almost 100% right. of the light is gonna be blocked from reaching the skin. And when we say swimsuits, we're not talking about a bikini here. We're talking about a full body uh, swimsuit. Uh, with basically long shorts and a t-shirt well, what it looks like we talk about shining a flashlight through your hand you right. can actually see that really you can mm -hmm. see the the glow if you have a glove on your hand you're not going to see anything that is a great so analogy this you're not going to have any sort of penetration mm -hmm. to the skin to the tissues with any sort of uh, clothing right on yeah now, there is some exposed skin there, you know, specifically the head, face, right, um, the front of the legs and the arms, but you're not getting anything to the back of the legs, the bottom of the feet, 
the back of the body at all. And then you're blocking the light further with this kind of t-shirt and shorts looking apparatus. And so I think our deliver dose is probably gonna be a lot lower and maybe even be down to the two or three joules per centimeter squared by the time we take all that into effect. Did they have the person flop over? As, no, they did not as far as we know. Um, what they did, they had this for, they did this for 14 days and they'd have these, these patients, the athletes, use this light bed uh, every night before going to bed. Okay. All right, and so they would lay in this. They'd lay underneath the light bed for 30 minutes, um, and they were exercising two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and then they'd have Sundays off. So four hours of training a day, 30 minutes of light of red light therapy in the evening, um, and then of course looking at sleep. They did this for 14 days, and they split mm -hmm. the group so they had a placebo, a sham group. Right. And then they had the actual treatment group, and that's how they decided to, to compare and see what mm -hmm. were the effects of having the red light therapy versus you know, having a placebo. The participants used glasses that blocked their vision, so they didn't know if they were getting um, the light therapy or not. Um, well, that should be done for safety anyway. <laughs> that should be done for safety because that's a lot of light, and that's, that a, that's pretty light. bright. You don't want to be mm -hmm. staring into that. I, I'm not sure how well... The, a goggle setup would have worked because red light is visible light. So your mm -hmm. participants are going to know. Right. Um, even if you've got some pretty good blindfolding on them, I mean, mm -hmm. you can still sense visible mm -hmm. light like that. Whereas um, infrared light is going to be invisible to the eye. Right. So I'm not totally sure if there was a, if there was a really effective sham here, but they did do the best they could, I think. Right. Now to evaluate how this worked, they decided to measure the sleep quality by using the Chinese version of the PSQI. The PSQI is the Philadelphia Sleep Quality Index. It's a pretty standard sleep questionnaire. You know, mm -hmm. you just go through, answer the questions, um, and then turn that in before, and then do it again, and turn it in after this, this experimental period. Okay. So they did that, and they also had them do a 12-minute run, and they'd, they'd count how many laps they could run in that 12-minute period. Hmm. And so okay. they'd, they'd do that, um let's see they would do that they did it before the uh before this experiment kind of commenced and then they did it at the end as well to determine if there is a significant difference what do you think they saw well you would hope they'd see a, a bigger mm -hmm. difference in the ability and in, in the speed mm -hmm. in which they could run those laps and they did actually. Um, I, this is a nice thing about having video now that we've got. I'm going to put up a couple of, of graphs here. Uh, one was that the the group that got the red light therapy did run more. They were able to make more laps in that 12 minutes. Here is I'm going to bounce over to here. Here's the graph right here. Hopefully you can see that. There was a small but somewhat significant difference in mm -hmm. the group that got red light therapy they got a little bit further um looks like on average about 2600 meters versus about 2500 meters mm -hmm. in that 12 minute run so there's a little bit of a difference there the thing that was really interesting to me is that there was also a difference a pretty large difference in serum melatonin what does melatonin do? It helps us sleep. It helps mm -hmm. regulate that circadian rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when we look at that graph, there is a large difference between the placebo and the red light treatment groups. Interesting. And so they're definitely, I mean, that, you know, you can, 
maybe push yourself to run faster and farther. Mm-hmm. You can maybe imagine that you've had changes in your sleep quality. You know, that, that'd be easier to argue with. But this is hard to argue with because we had actual blood work changes for melatonin at least. And that did line up with some small improvement um, in, um, in, their, in the sleep quality. So, because I do know that laser therapy will maybe cause some drowsiness, mm-hmm. and so that makes sense to me that the sleep would would come, but mm-hmm. to have the melatonin levels change, yeah, is, it's interesting, is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's our graph for the the sleep quality index, the questionnaire. Um, there is a difference there. Again, that. There's a little bit of subjectivity to that. Right. But then when you look at the melatonin graph, you go, okay, so something happened. Mm -hmm. Something happened there despite these challenges, you know, of having this uh, one-sided light therapy bed and it was a ways Mm -hmm. away and they were wearing clothing and and so on. Um, Still, is there possibly some problems there with not having a really solidly designed sham trial? Potentially. Yeah, Mm -hmm. potentially. But... Uh, looking at the sleep index scores, the biggest change from the placebo group to the group that got the light therapy was in sleep disturbance. So the, the people getting red light therapy definitely said that they were sleeping with less disturbances during the night, sleeping through the night easier or better. Interesting. Keep in mind, though, when we're talking about these, these are athletes. These are not 70-year-olds or 50-year-olds, and these are highly trained, highly developed basically professional level basketball athletes so we have to be careful about translating this and immediately going great let's go do red light therapy on everybody and they'll all sleep better we we don't know that for sure and especially using these methods eh, there's several factors working against you like we've just covered we might not be getting um, effective delivery of light and there may be a placebo effect in effect here too Mm -hmm. at the end of the study they say we've just that uh, they've demonstrated that red light illumination positively affected sleep quality and endurance performance variables in Chinese female basketball players. Um, And that uh, it should be further examined as a possible non-pharmacologic and non-invasive therapy to prevent sleep disorders after training. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. We we Mm -hmm. could definitely do some, some, uh, some good work looking at, you know, does light therapy on a whole body type of approach, does that help? I'm going to argue, though, that this study is a little bit difficult to interpret because it wasn't really full body. You know, right. we only had one direction from light. Right. A lot of the body was covered, preventing mm-hmm. that visible red light from penetrating to the skin even. Um, and so we, we really need to look at the, the information that's out there, and we need more studies. Right. Well, and this one was, what, you said 2012? Yeah, 2012. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit dated. It is. And so it would be interesting to see, um, you know, what would happen more recently. Mm-hmm. But um, That is the number one difficulty, actually, with evaluating this idea of does full body mm-hmm. light therapy work? Mm-hmm. Because normally when you deliver photobiomodulation, it's to a either a collection of points on the body, right? like a few different individual spots, mm-hmm. or it's to like an entire joint area or an, uh, you know, an extremity. It's just um, definitely more targeted. Very targeted. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, when we're talking about full body, it's just kind of like trying to shower the entire body with, with this light and hoping that you get some results. And there's not much out there. That's really solid evidence. Right. The difficult part here too. You want to guess how much the really good light therapy beds cost? 
Oh, astronomical, I'm sure. They're pretty steep. They're mm-hmm. they're in this fifty to eighty, ninety thousand dollar range. Oh my goodness! So it's a lot, and you know, good equipment costs money. I'm not going to say you, you, you know, I'm never going to tell you not to invest in good equipment. What I will say is spend your money wisely. Right. We have a lot more evidence for targeted light and laser therapies than we do for mm-hmm. full body therapy right now. If you're gonna spend seventy thousand dollars on a light therapy bed, um, make sure it's, it's really what you want. Look at the evidence yourself. Try and determine, you know, is this something that can help? One of the biggest concerns, no, go ahead. I was going to say the time is a factor there too because mm-hmm. they were, what, 30 minutes every day for two weeks and, mm-hmm. you know, targeted treatments are much less than that spread out over, you know, fewer times per week, that sort of thing. Exactly. So that, yeah, that we can do a, a knee treatment in like two minutes. Right. You know, with a targeted approach and a really good laser. Mm-hmm. And we can do that, yeah, every, we can do that two or three times a week mm-hmm. and get great results. This is, right. this is a lot of light mm-hmm. very often for a long period of time. And so you have to evaluate that as a clinician if you're going to be looking at adding full body light therapy. If they got to sit there for half an hour, or even 15 minutes, how many of those can you can you work with in a day? Right. You know, you got to be able to sanitize the device, get the mm-hmm. people in, get them changed, get them out. I mean, so maybe you're going to see three an hour, two an hour? Yeah, uh, not maybe. many. Yeah. Uh, so how fast is that unit going to pay for itself? You have to look at the right. return on investment. Otherwise, you're right. just going to end up paying the bill for everybody else to use this light therapy bed. Um, so that's number one. Mm-hmm. Does it even work in your clinic, first of all? Mm-hmm. And then number two, what are you trying to treat? You know, if we're trying to treat the whole body, that's a little bit of a stretch. Mm -hmm. We know that light therapy works by increasing blood flow. Mm -hmm. You can only increase blood flow so much. You know, the the human body only has, what, five, six, seven units of blood total. To completely fill every blood vessel in the body would take 27 units of blood on average. You don't have that. You can't ex- you can't deliver more blood flow everywhere. Right. So that's why we kind of have to pick and choose what we treat on a day-to-day basis. When you if you just irradiate the entire body, I'm thinking yeah, you can probably get some level of, of skin health benefits, but if you're trying to do full body irradiation for something like a knee arthritis problem, you're not going to get the deep tissue um relief well and, and right reproduction and, and because re- you're rejuvenation and, yeah mm-hmm. you're 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 exposing the whole body to light and so you're trying to drive like more circulation everywhere that doesn't even make sense you can't get increased circulation to the entire body right. you just can't so you need to start picking and choosing what do you want you want to treat the skin fine treat the skin mm-hmm. do you want to treat a knee joint you better focus on that knee joint not treat the entire body mm-hmm. so look at what you're doing there for you know, how how you're trying to affect the body, what kind of problems are you trying to fix and, and help your patients heal from. Right. Um, you know, even neuropathy. Yeah, we cover a lot of territory most of the time when we treat neuropathies, but it's still a focused treatment. It's not the, we're not just blasting the entire right. body. It's very focused to extremities, either upper or lower. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and you know this, if we're trying to get good penetration of light into the tissues, do we want to hold the laser handpiece up here? No. What do we want to do? We want to be right on the skin. We want to be right on the skin. Right on the skin. Perpendicular. We want to be driving that light in as deep as it can go. And one of the negatives on full body light therapy is it's non-coherent light that just kind of scatters everywhere. Mm-hmm. The penetration qualities 
are going to be a lot more poor mm-hmm. than if you have a technician actively delivering that perpendicular right up close and personal kind of treatment that you do with uh, you know a class three or class four laser system well someone laying in a in a full body bed they're going to be moving they could squirm they could move mm. and the light just goes everywhere still yeah you know so there's just a lot of benefit to have a tech delivering the treatment to a targeted area yep yeah so no definitely um you know, unless if you're just going for like maybe anti-aging for the skin, mm-hmm. I think there's probably some benefit there for sure. Could be. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe we, maybe there's more benefit like this melatonin mm-hmm. benefit. Maybe there's something more to that, or maybe not. It, it's kind of hard to tell from this particular study. Anyway, hopefully we do see more and more studies like this. Yes. Because um, I can't tell you how many patients I've had say, "Can't you just put me in a laser tunnel? Exactly. And can't you just do everything? Um, put me in a tube. <laughs> yep. Just laser it all, top to bottom." Um, as great as that idea is, ultimately, we just don't have the reliable studies to say that it can work for particular disorders. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Awesome. Okay. Well, you got anything else? I don't. All this research is fascinating. I love it every week. Um, tune in next week. Tune in next week. Next week, we're doing Healing at the Speed of Light podcast mm-hmm. for patients. If you've got patients that want to know more about light and laser therapies, get them our page link or sign up for our email newsletter. Our email newsletters come out once a week. Mm -hmm. They'll have links to uh, this podcast, but also the patient-focused Healing at the Speed of Light podcast. Mm -hmm. There's even a downloadable flyer you can print off and hand your patients so they can find these broadcasts or the the archived episodes. Mm -hmm. You can get our podcasts, both podcasts, the LTI podcast and Healing at the Speed of Light, which is our provider-focused and then our patient focused podcasts right. you can get those on apple Podcasts, pandora mm-hmm. spotify, spotify pretty much anywhere, anywhere. you get podcasts mm-hmm. if you've been listening and you enjoy this podcast do me a favor if you would scroll down to the bottom of the page if you're on apple Podcasts, leave us a rating leave us a review it will help other people find this podcast and if you have questions shoot us an email info at lasertherapyinstitute.org learn more about us on the website lasertherapyinstitute.org there's also free tools for laser therapy practitioners Mm -hmm. you can go and download that stuff right now and it can start benefiting you without really any effort on your part it's pretty great right just sharing the sharing the knowledge sharing the research and helping people help people that's exactly right talk to you soon good day Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.